Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Bad news abounds. You don't have to look far these days. Everywhere you look, there is plenty of, of bad news, whether it be wars and rumors of wars, things about the economy, political infighting, the weather. <laughs> well, pretty nice out today. No complaining, no complaining. There's bad news all over the place. That's why at our Tenetti home, we've got a little trick, which is that we only get the weekend newspaper. We only get the weekend paper. And then this being Arcadia, we get it on Monday. <laughs> so that makes sure that there's been some time passed with all of that bad news, puts it in a, a little bit more perspective. But with all of that, you'd think, okay, so then as Christians, we have got some message to bring. We have got something that the world needs so desperately because what we've got is the gospel. And as you probably know, the word gospel literally means good news. Good news. When bad news abounds, we have the good news, the best news. And yet all too often among Christians, it seems like the good news gets exchanged for good intentions, or good ideas, or just good advice. All the ways that you can be a more religious, nice person. And listen, I'm not against niceness. So are all good things in their own right. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news of what God has done, how he has done everything for us and our salvation, how he has made us his own in and through Christ Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. That's the good news that we so desperately need. And on his lips, the very first words of our Lord Jesus as he launches his ministry is precisely this, the good news, the gospel of God. And so this morning, I want to draw out some of the features of this proclamation of the gospel as Jesus lays it out in his first ever sermon, at least as we have it in, in the gospel of Mark. I want to draw out three features of that proclamation. If you've got your worship folder and you want to just kind of underscore the writing or if you've got your Bible with it, there's three features to this proclamation of the gospel as Jesus says it. First, he says, the time is fulfilled. Secondly, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then thirdly, repent and believe. Believe in this gospel. My hope is that we can find out, discover anew perhaps, what makes this good news good. So first of all, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Well, what makes that news good? I think we need to step back and think about different perspectives on time, for one thing. In the ancient world, for the, the classical Greeks, they viewed time in a very cyclical kind of fashion. So that whatever happened today is going to happen again, and it's just going to keep revolving around and around and around. It's like you're on a carousel that you can't ever get off of. Cyclical. And then today, in our own day and age, in modern times, there's a, a view of time that in some ways can look very similar because it also isn't going anywhere, but it's not even a cycle. Nowadays, there's a sense of time where you're just stuck. It's like you're in a car that's up on the blocks and everybody is driving, trying to go, we're moving really fast. Those RPMs are going up and yet we're just kind of stalled out. We're not going anywhere. To stick with that car metaphor, actually, Henry Ford, Henry Ford is reputed to have said that history Time is just one darn thing after another. That's a perspective on 
on time and life that so many people have. It's why it seems like it's just bad news after bad news, because it's not going anywhere. To the contrary, Jesus tells us that time is not some hollowed out, stalled thing. In fact, he says, the time is fulfilled, which tells us at least two different aspects of this good news. This time is fulfilled tells us, first of all, that time is going someplace. It's not cyclical and it's not stalled. It's linear, see. It has a purpose, an aim, a goal that God is driving it toward. The reconciliation and renewal of all things. So that in the midst of our, our quotidian, our mundane day-to-day -day lives, where sometimes it can feel like we're just stuck, like you're spinning your wheels out in a, a pile of snow, and in fact, even in the midst of that, God is moving it toward its fulfillment. We've, Jesus himself came in the fullness of time and in, with, and under, and through his death and resurrection. Now that time is fulfilled and we can see it moving toward its full fulfillment, if I can put it that way, when he comes again. And that means, secondly, because time has a goal and a purpose, an aim, it means that each and every day of our lives is not meaningless, but meaningful. It's just another chapter in the story that God is setting out through history. You and I are part of it. You've been caught up into it. Your individual lives are part of God's greater story that he is incorporating into the narrative of his son, how he is fulfilling all time. That's why as Christians, we celebrate the church year. We have things like the liturgical year where we have the seasons of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent and Easter and Pentecost, why we wear funny get-ups and have different colors. It's all part of that sanctifying of time, setting it apart and recognizing, no, it's not just one darn thing after another, but it's the moving image of eternity. It's God reaching down and making, as we've shared this book in our church, every moment holy. Every moment holy, sanctified and set apart because the time is fulfilled in Christ and through the power of His Spirit. It's going somewhere. It's not for nothing, see. That makes this news good when Jesus says the time is fulfilled because His kingdom is present now. And that gets us to the second piece of this proclamation of the gospel as Jesus lays it out. He says the time is fulfilled, firstly. Secondly, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when you hear kingdom, don't think primarily place, but think instead active, dynamic reign and rule of God. God is king wherever through his word and spirit he is working and operating. His kingdom is not merely a place, but it's a presence. The presence of Christ in his word and with his spirit. Now again, let's ask that question. What makes that good news? that the kingdom of God is at hand, staring you in the face, right here with you. Well, think about the place and the time that Jesus proclaims this. He's in the Galilee, and in the area of Galilee, it was under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. And if you were to ask people that day and place, hey, whose kingdom are you in? Who is Lord? They'd probably say, perhaps with a sense of resignation, well, Caesar's Lord. Look around you. He's the one who's in charge. Caesar and all of his stooges, like Herod. And if you needed more reminder of it, just when we think that we've got a real prophet, a guy who's, who's going to bring some news that we need to hear, John, the baptizer, 
Well, it's alluded to in our reading. What just happened to John? Well, now he's been sent up into prison. Now, it looks like Caesar is Lord. But Jesus comes announcing another kingdom and another king. No, he is Lord. And the reign and rule of God is at hand in him. No longer do we have to, to succumb to the, the servitude of Caesar, he says. But now you are under the service of God Most High. But it's so interesting because for some hearing that message in that day and place, they would have thought, okay, cool. Kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go take it to arms, right? Let's go recruit our soldiers and take it to Caesar. And so Jesus, he goes out and gets the army of the Lord and he recruits fishermen. Okay. Now it can hurt if you, you know, you get one of those things stuck in your head, as I know some of you have before, you, you know, you, you get a, but that's not the same as soldiers, see. Jesus is showing that his kingdom come, it's very different from the ways of the world. Yes, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, but he's not going to come in the ways of the world either. And that gets to the even deeper significance of his kingdom come, see. Because if we were to say, well, Caesar looks like he is Lord, but even more profoundly, it seems like Satan is still the one who's pulling the strings because John is ultimately not just going to be imprisoned, but he's going to be killed. And death continues to hold sway. And Jesus himself will talk about Satan as the, the, the king, the prince of this world. But Jesus is Lord. His kingdom is at hand, which means not only is Caesar not Lord, but neither is Satan. And death doesn't have the last word. This kingdom comes in the most unexpected, backward way, not just through the recruitment of fishermen, to be his disciples, but through a cross. And precisely at that moment when Satan thinks that he has gotten his most valuable scalp, it's then that God's kingdom is coming most powerfully in the weakness and the suffering and the death of our Lord. And then, through his resurrection, stomping Satan's head and showing him, no, Christ is king now and evermore, amen. Amen? And so this is why that news is good too, because the kingdom of God is at hand in Christ, even now, when all the world looks like it is out of control and all other people are in charge. No, Jesus still is Lord. He's sitting on his throne right now. Let no one doubt it. But then there's a third piece to this proclamation. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, when we hear that R word, the repent word, you might hear that as bad news. It's like, oh, okay, that just means that I need to, to give up all of my bad habits and all of, those, all of those sins. And so when Jesus says bad news, I just say, wah, wah, God's sad when I do bad stuff. Listen, there's a side of repentance that is bad news in the sense that it is that proclamation of the law saying you and I do need to turn continually, not just once, but each and every day away from the idols that we erect in our hearts, the things that we fear, love, and trust above God Almighty. We need to hear this word each and every day. In his famous 95 Theses, Martin Luther, the very first thesis, he says, when our Lord and Savior Christ said repent, he meant that the whole life of the Christian is one of repentance. It's constantly and continually turning away from those things that pull us away from God and turning back to Him. 
But friends, here's where I want you to hear this message from our Savior. Not just a stern warning from a mean king. But instead it's a kindly, gentle invitation from a loving Father. There was this famous saying from the author Tom Wolfe. He said, you can't go home again. Remember that? You can't go home again. And when you get caught up in sin, in particular the stuff that you can't seem to kick, that keeps sticking around, you start to feel that way. Like you can't go home to God again. It's like you're driving on US 31 and the bridge is just out forever. It's never going to open again. You have no hope. But instead, Christ, who came in his kingdom, who laid down his life, has made that bridge back to the Father for you and me. And what he says is no, indeed. When, when he summons to us to repent, it says that no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how often you have wandered, the way to the Father is opened again. And Christ himself has brought you back to it. When he says repent, it means that no matter how far away you are, that distance is breached by the bridge of the cross of Christ Jesus. He himself has come in order to make you his own, and there's nothing that's able to separate you from that. When you hear that word repent, yes, here, turn around. Turn away from that sin and those idols. But here, even more so, the way is open to the Father. You can ever and always go home again and his arms are opened wide, ready to receive you. And there's another side to this too. Because I think that if, if there wasn't this message of repentance, if we didn't hear this proclamation also from our Lord of saying, turn away from that sin, I think there could be this sense that the whole message is just too good to be true, right? It's like we're buying a house that we don't have the disclosures on. Or perhaps better put, God is. And we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like one day, one day, he says, oh yeah, yeah, I love you, I want to receive you. But it's like one day he's going to find out who you and I really are. And he's going to say, oh, wait a second now. We're going to go ahead and return to sender, right? But when he says, repent, what our Savior is saying is, I know you. I know you in your deepest depths. I see your heart all the ways it continues to be tempted to turn from me. And nevertheless, I love you. Nothing, nothing could separate you from my love. That's why it's good news. That's why it's good news, this gospel of God. Because you and I have a love that is incorruptible, indomitable, unshakable in Christ Jesus. Because God sent his son to bridge that gap and bring you home and show you that nothing can separate you from that love. That he has done everything for your salvation. It's done. It's finished. That's why Jesus said it. But I know. I know you hear that and you think, Phew, that news is too good to be true. That this is just a, a bill of goods. But that's why Christ Jesus staked his life on it quite literally. He staked his life on this good news, and he continues to deliver it to you and me through the gifts of Holy Communion. See, the word sacrament that we use to describe the Lord's Supper, it's a word that means literally an oath. It's a promise. And when you receive Jesus' very body and blood, it's God staking his life on that promise and saying, see, 
If you don't believe it in your ears, receive it in your mouths. Even when you come up with that wavering faith and you wonder, can I really believe this? Could this be for me? Just receive that body and blood, that bread and wine in your mouth and in your heart and hear it given for you. Yes, for you. He knows you. He loves you. He says, come to me. Listen, we live in a world where bad news abounds each and every day, and it seems like you can't run away from it, even if you get your paper a few days late. And the world is starving and hungering for some good news. You and I are too. And that's why God's given to us the great life-giving bread and the good news of what his son has done. And friends, it is our privilege and pleasure then to go out to our hungering neighbors and to give them the bread too and to let them know, you're tired of the bad news? Let me tell you about some good. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Creator.